0: There are many times at church where I, as a pastor, ask others to publicly pray. Sometimes I get turned down. But in working on this sermon series, I realized I need to be more specific when I ask someone to pray in order to get an answer of yes. Think about this. Which is easier to say yes to? Me asking, will you pray? Or me asking, will you pray for the sick in our congregation?" And even beyond that, which is easier to say yes to? Will you pray for the sick in our congregation? Or will you pray for Dr. John and his heart trouble, Pam and her cancer, and Dwight and his hand recovery? It's much easier to pray when I know what to pray for. We have our weekly and monthly prayer guide that we ask all of our members to pray. Six days a week we pray these prayers, either as written or as a springboard for deeper prayer. We're spending six weeks going over what makes each of these prayer topics important? This series we're planning on finishing on Pentecost Sunday, when we will engage in purposeful prayer with the whole Wesleyan denomination, that we will together be filled and sent, which aligns with how Jesus prayed together as they awaited the giving of the Holy Spirit. Our second prayer theme is praying for the lost, for those who have not Placed saving faith in Jesus Christ. This specific prayer is so important. The Apostle Paul not only prayed this theme, but commanded the whole church of Colossae to pray it. I believe by extension, we are also commanded to pray in this way. Let's read Colossians four, two through six. Devote yourselves to prayer. Stay alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open a door to us for the word, to speak the mystery of Christ, for which I am in chains, so that I may make it known as I should. Act wisely toward outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. The first part of this call to prayer is to pray steadfastly. Paul's words here are a command. Be devoted, be committed, be steadfast. This is something that a person or group purposes to do and follow through with regularity for the long haul. Devote yourselves to prayer. This steadfast commitment was not something unusual to the early church. Acts 4, or excuse me, Acts 1.14 says, They all were continually united in prayer along with the women, including Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. Everyone in the early church steadfastly prayed. In Acts 2.42 and 46, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts. Everyone was committed or devoted themselves to regularly hearing the teaching of the apostles, to meeting together in the temple and at each other's houses, to participating in the Lord's table covenant meal and general meals, and praying. Romans 12.12 says, Rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, be persistent in prayer. There, Christians commit to prayer even when facing affliction and hard times. Praying regularly is one of, is one way of showing commitment, and another is being alert while praying. If I said the Lord's Prayer every day, that would be consistent, but if I wasn't paying attention to the meaning of the words, because I can say that prayer without thinking, then it's not an alert prayer. Alert prayer may have repetitive elements, But it can never lose its meaning. I can say the same words of prayer multiple times or pray for the same person every day as long as I mean what I say. Prayer pays attention to the words and the people and situations that the words are about. People and situations change, so alert prayers also adapt. This committed prayer is also thankful prayer. Now to me this is interesting. Paul is going to ask the church to pray so that he can make Christ known. To me, this sounds like an asking prayer, a supplication. But Paul the Apostle calls it a thanksgiving prayer. The commitment to pray is not a burden, something that the church has to do that they may not want to do, but something they should be happy to do, thankful to be a part of. The attitude is, yay, I get to pray for people every day, not, oh, I have to pray every day. The best reason I could think of for this is because it is a joy and privilege to participate in something great. The apostles gave thanks in Acts 5.41. Then they went out from the presence of the Sanhedrin rejoicing that they were counted worthy to be treated shamefully on behalf of the name. There they gave thanks for being treated shamefully because Jesus was also treated shamefully. And now they were participating in the work of Jesus. We, generally without having to suffer, also get to participate in the work of Jesus. And we know that the Holy Spirit is already doing the same work. That's yet another thing to be thankful for. The Apostle Paul sums up the idea of continual, thoughtful, thankful prayer in line with the work of the Holy Spirit in First Thessalonians five sixteen through 19 which says, Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything, For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Don't stifle the spirit. There's a story that says early African converts to Christianity were earnest and regular in private devotions. Each one reportedly had a separate spot in the thicket where he or she would pour out their heart to God. Over time, the paths to these places became well worn. As a result, if one of these believers began to neglect prayer, it was soon apparent to everyone else. They would kindly remind the negligent person, brother or sister, the grass grows on your path. Let's not let the grass grow on our paths either. Steadfast prayer is talked about by Jesus in the parable of the unjust judge in Luke 18:1 through 8 1-8, which says, Now he told them a parable on the need for them to pray always and not give up. There was a judge in a certain town who didn't fear God or respect people. And a widow in that town kept coming to him saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he was unwilling, but later he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or respect people, yet because this widow keeps pestering me, I will give her justice so that she doesn't wear me out by her persistent coming. Then the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God grant justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay in helping them? I tell you that he will swiftly grant them justice. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? When I casually read this parable in the past, I had difficulty with Jesus' illustration. I understand I'm supposed to be like the widow, persistent in prayer, and I pray to God. But Jesus also says that God is not like the unjust judge because God swiftly grants justice. So why do I have to be so persistent if God moves swiftly? The judge in the parable is not God. Jesus specifically says that the judge does not fear God nor respect people. The judge is a person who is lost, separated from God, a person on whom the Holy Spirit must do a work and change his heart. Remember, praying doesn't change God. Praying changes people. If I don't want to feel like I'm always asking for stuff in my prayers, I need to make sure I'm asking for things that God wants instead of just what I want. Second Peter three nine, the Lord does not delay in His promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. We have it on our prayer guide to pray for the lost once a week. That's consistent, but I'm hesitant hesitant to call it steadfast, for the one person you know who doesn't yet know Christ that you are doing life with gosh, you and I should be praying for them every day with Thanksgiving. In addition to that regular prayer time, every time that that person's name comes to my mind, I simply quickly pray for their salvation. We could call this a prayer habit. It's difficult to make a habit, but once you have a habit, it's more difficult to break the habit. Make a habit of praying for the lost. I'm commanded to pray steadfastly, and next, the Apostle Paul provides the specific I am to pray for. Pray for open situations. He says, pray for God to open a door for the word. Paul's request here is worded, and please excuse the coming pun, in a unique way. He first asked for God to open situations for the word, not words. The word is a title for Jesus. John 1, 1 and 14, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. When the door is open for Jesus, Paul wants to speak words that reveal Christ. That is why, that's what he means by speak the mystery. He wants to reveal something that was previously unknown to someone else. When the Apostle Paul went to the synagogues, he proclaimed Jesus as the risen Messiah because Jews were looking for the Messiah. When the Apostle Paul went to Athens and saw that they were religious and have an altar to an unknown God, Paul sees the open door and proclaims Jesus as their unknown God. When King Agrippa asked to hear about some new religion about a certain dead man, Jesus, who people claim to be alive, that's in Acts 25.19, Paul uses that opportunity to share Jesus. You may have heard the quote often attributed to Francis of Assisi that says, Preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. What Francis actually wrote was this. No brother should preach contrary to the form and regulations of the Holy Church. All the friars should preach by their deeds. He's not saying we don't need words. We always need words to share the mystery of Christ. But our words should match our deeds. For my friend who doesn't know Christ, I pray daily and I communicate weekly. If I'm sincere in my prayer for the lost, I have to talk to the lost. There's a system called quadrant conversations we can use to keep track of our conversations with unbelievers and move those conversations towards spiritual things. Here's the four types. Casual conversations help you get to know people. What are you doing this weekend? The next step is meaningful conversations. Those are more significant and vulnerable. What are you concerned about? Third is spiritual conversations that openly talk about what God is doing in my life. And then fourth is discovery conversations, connecting a story from the Bible, God's story, with my friend's story. To get a more in-depth teaching on quadrant conversations, search for quadrant conversations on YouTube. Contagious disciple making has a great explanatory video. Christians sometimes wonder about discerning God's will. One question I could ask in the case of praying for the lost is, how do I know when the Holy Spirit is opening a door? Well, that's easy to figure out when I'm regularly speaking with the doorkeeper. I pray steadfastly for open situations to share Jesus, and lastly, I pray for right speech. I found some stories from people who said the wrong thing at the wrong time that I thought it would be funny to share with you. Here's the first one. My best friend is a waitress. When setting down a dish in front of a customer who happened to have prosthetic arms, which was obvious, she exclaimed, Watch your hands. That plate is really hot. Here's another. I was at a memorial service, and the son of the deceased thanked me for coming. I enthusiastically replied, anytime. A couple of more. This person says, I was at a high school reunion talking to a classmate who's now in a wheelchair due to a car accident. I told him he had the best seat in the house. I'm an idiot. And here's the last one. My sister and I were at a funeral when we ran into an old friend who asked us how we're doing. My sister automatically said, well, we're not dead. All these conversations led to awkward situations instead of open doors. Once the door is open to the word, I don't want the door slammed in my face or to blow the opportunity because I wasn't prepared. One summer as a camp counselor, I shared Jesus with one of my campers. Later, another camper, who was already a Christian, came and asked me, How did you know what Bible verses to have him read? I answered him with a simple answer. I memorized those verses so that I'd be ready. Our passage in Colossians 4 tells us what type of speech I'm to be praying for and prepared with. First, I should be prepared to speak the mystery of Christ. That's a fancy way of saying I need to know how to clearly reveal who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, and what that means to me and every person. It's the same work the Holy Spirit does. And the second part is multifaceted. Second, I need to make the mystery of Christ known as I should. Not every presentation of Jesus needs to be done in the exact same way, even if I use the exact same Bible verses every time. I don't present to a person on their deathbed the same way as I do to a child. I don't present to an agnostic the same way as someone who grew up in church and has fallen away. The Apostle Paul breaks down making Christ known as I should into four areas. First is wise actions. What I do needs to be in line with what I'm going to say. And I need to approach people in the right way at the right time. Second, I approach with gracious speech. People don't need to be bullied into faith in Jesus. I need to meet people where they are, not expecting unbelievers to be acting like followers of God, but realizing they are probably following their own or our culture's morality. Third, I need to have seasoned speech. Even though what I say should be gracious and accurately describe Jesus, my words should not be so soft As to let someone off the hook. While my job is not to do the convicting work of the Holy Spirit, my job also is not to ease the convicting work of the Holy Spirit. It is acceptable to ask pointed questions that require a response. How do you assess your situation? How do you think God assesses your life? What are you going to do with what you've learned? Fourth and finally, I need to respond with proper answers. It's not just on me to talk, but important for me to listen. I can't fully know how I might present Jesus to someone until I know what questions they have. And people have a lot of questions about life and a lot of ignorance about the Bible and Jesus. Let people ask. In fact, encourage people to ask questions. And then pray for the right answers, knowing that the Holy Spirit is already working in me. Jesus promises in Luke 12, 11 and 12, Whenever they bring you before the synagogues and rulers and authorities, don't worry about how you should defend yourselves or what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that very hour what must be said. With and for my lost friend, I pray daily, communicate at least weekly, and meet at least monthly. This may sound like I have a hidden agenda with everyone I meet, and that's a misunderstanding. The Holy Spirit has an agenda with everyone I meet. I receive my friend's agenda and bring it to the Holy Spirit. So it's not about what I want. It's about what my friend wants and what God wants. I'm just there to be a conduit or connector. Leighton Ford was speaking at an open-air crusade in Halifax, Nova Scotia. Billy Graham was to speak the next night and arrived a day early. Graham came incognito and sat on the grass at the rear of the crowd. Because he was wearing a hat and dark glasses, no one recognized him. In front of him sat an elderly gentleman who seemed to be listening intently to Layton's presentation. When Layton invited people to come forward as an open sign of commitment, Billy Graham decided to do a little bit of personal evangelism. He tapped the man on the shoulder and asked, would you like to accept Christ? I'd be glad to walk down with you if you want to. The old man looked him up and down and thought it over for a moment and then said, nah, I think I'll just wait till the big gun comes tomorrow night. Graham and Layton had several good chuckles over that incident. Fortunately, it underlines how in the minds of some people, evangelism is the task of the big guns, not the task of everyone steadfastly taking the little shots. God does not necessarily ask me to stand on a street corner or in front of a store or talk to strangers. I don't have to gather an arena full of people. What I have to do is walk through the one open door to meet and talk to the one person that the Holy Spirit is working on. Our psalm of the day is Psalm 23. I'll begin with that prayer and then move on to our prayer for the lost. The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his namesake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. Our patient God, you do not want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. We thank you for the salvation you have given to us and offered to others. We pray for the people, our one, who don't yet know Christ, that the Holy Spirit will open a door for the message of Christ, and that I may say it clearly as possible, so that the lost may be sought and saved. His blessing is, may the Lord who has never failed in any of his good promises, who does not leave or forsake his own, may he turn your hearts to him to walk in his ways and to keep his commands that he gave our fathers in the faith.